Lord Megatron. Shockwave! This is quite an unexpected turn. I thought you'd perished on Cybertron. Yes, as, as did we all. Reports of my demise were greatly premature. A pair of Autobots infiltrated my facility on Cybertron, sabotaging my space bridge. I gave chase, but failed to accurately calculate the outcome. in the rubble, blinded. It soon became clear that I was marooned on our dead planet with no means of communication. In time, I repaired my wounds and resumed my experiments. The solitude enabled me to make tremendous advances in my research. Until one day, my instruments detected a massive surge of unidentifiable energy. I traveled to investigate its origin at the edge of the Sea of Rust, where I encountered your salvage team and the smoldering wreckage of the Omega Lock. But this was not the search party I had anticipated so long ago. Leaving one unanswered question. Why was I left for scrap? Abandoned. Why? Hello and welcome to another episode of Elgar the Podcast. I'm Abdullah, and with me today is a man of many talents, but mostly voiced, voicing deep, deep, uh, deeper voiced characters. Would you say is your specialty? I, I would think so. They they stopped casting me as a twelve year old woman, twelve uh, year old girls, a long time ago. <laughs> it's the other David from Beast Wars, David Soboloff. Hello. <laughs> We actually had David Kay on on the show, and he actually admitted you he, you actually got him to do your warm up vocals every time. So that's pretty cool. Oh, is something I don't recall back in Beast Wars days. Yeah, you say? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to talk to him about that. That was so many years ago. I don't recall. Because he was like when when he first met you, he's like, oh my god, even even back then he had a deep voice. It's like how how does your voice get so deep? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was just genetics. But yeah, um, you might recognize uh, David from a lot of shows. Lobo from Injustice and Young Justice, Gorilla Grodd on The Flash, Blitzwing and Bumblebee, and a whole bunch of other characters that I'm not going to go through. But you know, just just look the man up on IMDb, and you'll go through a lot of credits, and then you'll wonder, wow, <laughs> he's been around that long. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's been a while. You know, I'm, I'm in my mid fifties, and after a while, the resume starts growing if you keep doing it. So, and it's a, I'm very fortunate. So, my first question is: Did you did you ever think that you and and, and David Kay would be the breakout stars of Beast Wars? <laughs> well, I, I can't really say that I am. You'd have to. I guess you're the one that has to tell me that. Um, but David's quite extraordinary, so I'm not surprised about him. Uh, although the character um, Depth Charge was quite an extraordinary character. So I can understand why, why he was quite appealing to people, the sort of not-quite-good-not-quite-bad anti-hero. Um, as they'd say, badass. And I think that a lot of people like that. Well, it was the 90s, dude, so it's like that the anti-hero thing was, was huge, and they were like, you know, Beast Wars is ending, and we kind of need uh, an anti-hero-type character, so let's just shove this guy in for, like, six or so episodes, and then we're done. <laughs> I was. I, I don't think they even knew the show was going to end. I didn't get that sense. 
Uh, I just thought they were clearing out the shelves so they could sell some more toys, some different toys, to be honest. Um, but it was certainly a shock the day my character was, uh, was killed. I knew, we all, we knew a number of characters were leaving the show, but they wouldn't tell us if it was us. We didn't find out till the day I walked in. Yeah, I mean, cause it's usually like they don't tell you stuff and then you have to find out on the script and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I guess it makes it a little more exciting. Your acting's a little more real if you just found out about it, I suppose. But Sue Blue was really, uh, for me, what was the catalyst of the acting in that. Because she was, when she would direct, she, unlike almost any director I've ever worked with, she would act right with you. She would play the scene. She might, if there's a, a line leading up to it or even just a feeling leading up to it, she'd really get you into it. I wish she was still uh, directing. I don't see her around much anymore. I mean, and she was mostly based on, you know, a lot of shows she did. But, you know, I think the best thing, the great thing about Beast Wars was that it had, like, a really talented cast. And, you know, she could, you know, find, she, you know, they, they, they worked out, were well off. So, yeah, I cannot talk today. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, they worked <laughs> off well off each other because everyone. That's was, true. Yeah. And we were all in the same room. Uh, a lot of times they don't do that now, but we were all in the same room, like a radio play. And uh, if your if your casting is good, your show is good. You know, now I'm doing uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and that was great casting the five of us, and we just play off each other. And it just works. You don't really have to work too hard as a director if your casting's been good. And it, and it helps with Guardians is that you know you guys were like what the main cast was like five people, so it was easy yeah. to get to get you guys together and record together that's true and, yeah. yeah a lot easier, easier to wrangle five people than 15 and uh you know i asked david this as well but what was campbell lane like i didn't know much personally i loved his character and definitely we had quite a chemistry working together it's a shame that he's passed it would be wonderful to go to beast wars reunions and, and do a scene with him i never got a chance to do that because he was he was great he was a very he really was very underrated actor yeah i, I love this work on beast wars for sure and, uh, you know, going on from Beast Wars, you know, did you, did you really expect to, to be as prolific as you are once you moved in, moved to the States? Well, I just never gave up. You know, there were down times. Uh, there were slower times, but I just kept doing whatever I had the opportunity to do. And eventually, you know, there were a lot of video game roles for a while. And then I got back into animation again. And I would say about seven or eight years ago, things really started to get busy uh, after being in Canada. It took a long time here in LA. But it's a big pond, you know. Especially like with video games, because I because I know that you almost like your your career almost ended after doing like Call of Duty, because that you know was really stressful on your vocal cords. And... Yeah, I guess that 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 story has gotten around. I lost my voice for six months, and it was Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and there was too much much screaming for too many hours in too short of an amount of time, and I did some damage. And luckily, I came back from that. But I lost most of my high end. Luckily, most people don't want me for that. Yeah, because cause when you because when, when I listened to you when uh, Shockwave and Prime, I'm like, wait, that's the same guy who did Depth Charge. I remember his voice being a lot higher back then. It was. That's one of the characters I can't really do very well anymore. I can approximate it, but it's an octave higher than the more I speak now. Because it's that happens to everyone as they get older. With the d deeper voices as they get older, they just get deeper. But but you did a great job as uh, Kent Nelson and and Justice Two as Doctor Fate. I think you know when when he's like not. In Naboo, you know, his voice is like a little bit mm -hmm. higher. Yeah, <laughs> That's true. Well, I had to differentiate. I, I can still find a higher place in my voice, but in terms of just maintaining a character that sounds like 
you know, like a late teen, early twenties. The, the, the time has definitely passed for me. But, but that's but, okay. But hey, I mean, there's like they need. There's no shortage of deeper voice bad guys that they that they that you know. There's no shortage of Luck, those roles. Well, <laughs> luckily, they still work. It's true. <laughs> and and is it weird, like looking at, at your career and being involved, and looking back and saying, "Wow, I, I was in you know all these great franchises." I again very fortunate. I can't pick the franchises when you audition for things. Half the time you don't even know what you're auditioning for, and then things end up being loved. And and now though, I mean, it's so many years of, of recorded media. So there are a lot of franchises where they're on their third, fourth, or fifth actor playing the same role. Um, and that I don't worry about that too much. I don't even go back and listen to the old stuff. I just try to make it make it new for the producer that's in front of me. But then you are very lucky because you have a uh, like Gorilla Grodd on The Flash. That is a well-known character long before I came along. So you get the advantage of that. It helps the audience love you no matter what you do. And and plus, I think you were the only one who was not recast in Guardians. Like you had voiced the character in previous um, in previous cartoons, and everyone else got recast, but you stayed the same. I was fortunate again. Yeah, um, they started doing guest shots in that show in 2012. I think was the first time Guardians had appeared on Marvel shows, and I just kept doing it, and they kept casting me. I had to re uh, re audition for the main series, but that apparently was a uh, just something they wanted to do to be fair. I think they kind of knew they wanted me, but just to be fair, they had me audition. Yeah, because it's weird looking looking back looking at back on those shows and and because they they tried doing the shared universe thing, but it kind of got weird when the cast members started changing in between shows, and it's kind of like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was told that we were one of the only Marvel animated shows that ever existed where they kept the core cast intact once the animated series started and we still get to do the occasional um, guardians of the galaxy project and there's there's a transition going on right now in, in media in the states because of course broadcast networks not so prominent cable starting to die out and we're moving toward the apps and uh, guardians of the galaxy is going to be on disney plus this fall and that's just a whole new landscape there's they're going to need so much product it's it's great that there's so much work right now yeah, Probably a pretty uh, good time to get into voice acting, I'd say. Yeah, because when I interviewed Mark, uh, Mark Wing, Wing, Wingert, he actually mm -hmm. said that, you know, when you're recording for stuff now, you're recording for streaming. You're not just recording for television. So you, you, you gotta make sure that the quality of your work sticks around for a while and not just, you know, not just, uh, you know, a limited time. Yeah, I think, um, there's a lot of, and there's so many different places where they, they have, different forms of this show you know they, they can do it audio only they could do it in a theme park they can do it in a live stage show i've recorded all that stuff for disney yeah, and plus you know and, you know they're, they're plus it's like yeah we can't get dave batista to do everything so it's like yeah you know, just get the cheaper option <laughs> well i don't even know if it's that i think um sometimes it's for a younger audience uh audience that may have seen the animated series and they go with the animated cast um, but Marvel's been pretty good about that. You know, they, they can do whatever they want. It's not my character, but they keep calling me back. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, same with Lobo over at DC. I, I do get keep, uh, they do keep calling me back for that too. And as, as well as Gorilla Grodd. And it's their house. You know, I'm just a, a guest, but I'm happy to be invited back. And, and were you familiar with any of those characters history before you got the roles or was it just, you know, I'm going to make this, you know, did you learn as, as you went along? I think I'm a very bad geek. I don't really have a lot of geek background. 
when I was a kid, I was watching Bugs Bunny mostly. <laughs> so I never read comic books and I didn't know many of these characters. And I think that actually gave me an advantage. You know, I would go back and find out a little bit about their backstory, but I wouldn't even listen to the old versions of it. A lot of times I wasn't familiar with it. So I, I kind of approached it in the moment. And I think that's actually helped me a lot. Yeah, because you don't want to go in there and, and give them what they what the other actor did before you, because that's just, no. Well, and some people prefer different actors in, in the roles. You know, Corey Burton was playing Shockwave before I was, and there'll be people playing Shockwave after I play it. Um, and they're just sort of, you know, about taste, you know, what's your taste? I mean, it's, it's, and no, yeah, one's better, it's, no one's better or worse than anyone else. I mean... You know, it's it, it comes down to personal preference, and I've talked about this before, where, you know, there are some people who just cannot, you know, accept any version of the Joker that's not voiced by Mark, Mark Hamill, and, you know, that's that's on mm -hmm. them, you know, you know, if that's, if, that, if that's what floats your boat, then, you know, cool. Just don't be, uh, you know, don't be a dick to uh, other actors who play the role. No, never. Um, I've had some people want me to be, and I won't do it. You know, Corey and I have very different interpretations, and... Um, neither are better. They're just different. I mean, I liked your interpretation this, because it was an evil Spock, and I'm like, yes, that's what the character should be, an evil Spock. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cold uh, makes him a lot more scary because you don't know what he's going to do. He's capable of anything. Uh, he's not motivated by feelings. And, and that was a yeah, great show as well. And, and that was a great show as well because you got to work with Steve Bloom on that. So. Mm -hmm. He stood right next to me. <laughs> when we had some of those scenes together, he was right there. <laughs> And, um, you know, we had, um, we had all the biggies. Everybody was there. It was another show where we got to all get together. And pretty much everybody showed up, which was nice. There were very few, few scratches. There were mostly people that were physically there. Scratches when, of course, someone isn't there and someone just substitutes for them. Yeah, that, that, that happens a lot when, uh, you know, they can't get the person there on time and they're like, hey, can you do like scratch vocals? I think, I think it happened on Guardians of Jonathan Flakes. Well, yeah, it did happen with him sometimes. He's the one that it did happen with him quite often. Um, but I got to work with him a couple times in person too. Um, I'm I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of. Oh yeah, no worries. Yeah, I'm trying to think of questions here because. Uh, you know what? I I'll think of some. I'll just answer some <laughs> questions you didn't ask. Um, on Transformers Prime, of course, you have Peter Cullen and um, you know, Frank, Frank Welker. Frank Welker. And yeah. seeing them together. That was just such a treat for all of us, you know, seeing them together from an, you know the generation before us, and they're still here working. Yeah, it's insane. And then I ended up, I mean, yeah, cause, and cause, he's uh, in the Bumblebee movie too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's insane because uh, when that show came out, I'm like, you guys do realize that Peter Cullen and, and Frank Welker have officially played, been playing those roles since the '80s, and they haven't stopped. <laughs> well, you know, do you know about the Scooby Doo role for Frank Welker? He's been playing that one role since the '60s. Yeah, he started off. In that, the teenage boy, I don't remember his name in, in that Fred. show. He, didn't he start playing Fred in 68? He's still doing it? Yeah. <laughs> Extraordinary. That is, he could still do that. What a talent. And the nicest guy, too. They're both super nice. Voice actors, for the most part, are pretty mellow. Yeah. Not a ton, not a ton of ego going on. I mean, I said this before on previous episodes. I, I actually enjoy talking to voice actors at cons more than big name celebrities because with voice actors, I can just be myself and you know not care about making a bad impression. You know, I, I accept everybody. You know, as long as people are nice to me, just be who you are. Yeah, I mean, as long as you don't give you, you know, as long as you don't, they don't give you like something and say, you know, can you do whatever something you're uncomfortable with, and then you're like, no. Yeah, well, I'll say yes mostly when I can. You know, very few people have made me feel uncomfortable at cons. Most people are super nice. Everyone's there to have a good time. 
And, and, and how's the con scene for you? How's that working out for you? Well, I've been a little, little busier the last couple of years, uh, just going around. It's, uh, well, there's fans everywhere. You never know where the fans are going to be or, or the stories are going to pop up too. You, know, you get some people that were just entertained by you, some people that where there were some life-changing things that happened with the show that you did that hit them at a certain part of their lives where it was very meaningful. So you get to hear their stories. There was one fellow who was in the Army, and he had had um, some pretty extreme battle conditions, and he'd see friends die in front of him, and he had that in his head, a PTSD, and he started watching Transformers Prime, and somehow he watched that before he'd go to bed, and then he wouldn't dream about his friends anymore, and he could sleep. So it's surprising. And then, you know, you get another kid who's not that much of a kid anymore, but he said he'd been following me, following my career. And I guess he started with Beast Wars. He said I was having a pretty bad time. And he was six years old then. So you can only imagine what he might have been, might have been going through. And if I had somehow was a comfort to him, then that's great. You, you never know where, who's going to hear your voice or what circumstances they're in. Yeah, I know. Um, is it, and, and, you know, speaking of Transformers, you were in Bumblebee. I got to mention that as well. Cause that was, uh, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, that was, that Travis, was uh, Travis Knight. Yeah. Yeah, that that was something I I you know of all the voice actors I never thought you would have get, you would have gotten cast in that because I was like because they <laughs> usually because they usually don't cast like any of the um, previous people who have done like Transformers in those movies like they'll cast like Frank and and Peter but they'll not cast like anyone else so it was kind of a surprise to, to hear your to voice. To be honest, <laughs> I don't think they even researched it and had any idea that I had been in. in any Transformers before that, before I told Travis when we met, I don't think they had any idea. I just did the audition. And what did they want exactly from that character? Because he went through a lot of changes in, in the script and, and whatnot. Well, it was always pretty core. You know, there are things that I made up along with Travis that had nothing to do with the script. We made up a backstory so that he'd have some emotion. You know, that nothing had been written, really, um, to talk about what their history had been. So I just made it up. You know, in my mind, I, you know, there was an emotional backstory where you know, in my mind, Bumblebee had been friends with me and had betrayed me and not just everyone. He betrayed me personally. And that wasn't any canon. That wasn't in any script, but I used that to get the emotion from. And I didn't want it to just sound like I was screaming at it. I wanted it to sound like I was screaming for a reason. So there was a lot of also dealing with the fact that the medium is what it is. It's not a TV set. It's an enormous IMAX screen with a close-up of his face. And that performance is very different than you would do for a television show. You know, it has to be bigger than life. And it was so big that there were definitely times where I felt faint when I was doing it. You know, we would go really slowly. He understood that. Um, did you think you could hide the first line? That has a lot of feeling in it, and it was really huge. And it doesn't sound that huge in the movie. But to get it that big, you had to be three times what we, we would be in normal human, you know, like human conversation. So, like, I think even that first line was almost a full session, just getting that first line out, you know, doing it several times and literally resting between every take almost. I mean, it had to be big because, you know, spoiler alert, he, you know, he rips out his, uh, you know, vocal cords. So, you know, it wouldn't Well, but notice sense. in that moment, that's true, it wouldn't have made sense if he's small, but notice in that moment, you know, he said, let's make it official, let's make it official, you know, really super quiet. So the menace comes in. I mean, it's the calm before the storm type type, type thing, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, okay. It's it's very dark and you know, 
Which is which is weird, considering the tone of the movie up until then was kind of lighthearted, and then you have this character mm-hmm. show up, and then it's like, whoa. <laughs> well, originally, that was the start of the movie. There was no Cybertron scene. There was no army scene. It went smash from the credits to Blitzwing coming in through the forest. That was the start of the movie. And then they added all the other stuff as we went along. Wow, that would have that would have been different. Like just straight well, up into the action. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had to see when we first recorded the beginning of that, that was what I thought it was. So that made it even bigger because you're the first line in the movie. So that's something I was considering, which we didn't end up using in the end. But it's great that the level of performance was there. I was pretty happy with it, to be honest. And I'm not saying yay me. I'm just saying I was happy with what we were able to achieve. And he's a great collaborator and open to lots of ideas and suggestions and and so was Robert Rodriguez when I did um, Alita Battle Angel. These big directors, and they're super nice people. It's it's really great when you get here, you realize it isn't all ego and bluster and stepping on eggshells, and you can actually be real with each other. If you want to achieve anything that's interesting and worth watching, you have to be human. And, and that's what's interesting about you know your work in particular, because you have to find the humanity in whatever you're playing no matter how absurd or how stupid it is on paper. Yeah, that's how I like to work. When I started playing characters and stopped doing voices, I booked a lot more work. And that's and that's another thing. It's not about doing voices. It's about acting. That's what it is. I'm sure you hear, about, <laughs> I'm sure you hear that from every, everyone. Everyone yeah. you interview probably says that. I mean, Lobo wouldn't be as as, uh, as memorable if he was just, you know... If you if you know the acting wasn't good, you would have just been like a guy doing like a macho man impression or something like that, you know? It wouldn't it wouldn't, it wouldn't be anything. Is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We try we try to make it. Um, I think of him as being in New Orleans, even though he probably isn't, <laughs> probably never was. But I think of him that way. I think of him at a bar in New Orleans. I mean, because he's and, and there's a lot of like you know, especially when Young Justice came back and it was like for an older audience, you're like you got to go with you know more darker humor with him where you know in the fight in with the outside with the um with nightwing's team he actually mm-hmm. like you know kills hope and then he's like ah do you know what it takes to clean this thing out <laughs> or something like that with the with this hook thing oh yeah there's there's always this uh sort of not really caring what's going on he's just sort of trying to get through the day kind of thing um he's he's weird it's like he's a he's a bad guy but he's not Event, he's, that's all about vengeance. What am I trying to say? He, he's not like bluster. He just has this big personality and he just does what needs to be done, especially if someone's willing to pay him. I mean, and especially like, I mean, a lot of people were like, okay, well, how can, you know, Nightwing and his team take on, you know, Lobo? And I'm like, well, I mean, he says in the episode he's only there to kill Forager. So I'm, so my headcanon is he was holding back in that fight. I mean, if he wanted them dead, he would have wanted. He would have killed them all in like five seconds. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm am hoping for another chance in the next season that they just announced. Well, hopefully he'll come back and we we'll get to see more of him. There are some other Lobo things happening I can't talk about, but they've been bringing me in to do stuff at Warner Bros. I mean, especially with, for, for different things. Especially with his finger, you know, that's going to be a major plot point at some point. So you'll never know. <laughs> Well, another thing you never know is canon, because canon is constantly changing. You know, there's a comic book canon, a TV canon, a film canon, and sometimes they don't match. And that definitely gets the fans riled up. But I know for Guardians, they, they said that our characters, they, they called them feel-alikes. They weren't supposed to sound 
the same. They didn't have exactly the same plot, but it was just sort of the same feeling. And my Drax definitely isn't the same as as Dave's, but just sort of along the same lines. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he, he, you know, you both, you both played the character the same. You know, they, they both, you know, I don't want to say you played him the same because he, he kind of went into a different direction in like the sequel, but you know, it's yeah, it is kind of a sound alike and not like a performance. Yeah, they, yeah well, there's yeah. a feeling of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they both have the idea where they can't really they can't really uh, they're not socialized like most people. If uh, if things aren't as they are, you know, in front of them, you know, if there's something that's over his head, he thinks it's actually flying over his head. You know, and, that kind of idea. And especially, I think what I like about your series is that you guys actually got the chance to go into his to go deeper into his backstory than the movies did. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, there was, there was a great, a great day, a great scene where, you know, he has to sort of face, you know, remembering his family. And it was when that princess rips up that toy. So a sad moment for him. It's and nice that those cartoons aren't afraid to show humanity. You know, it's not just all wacky zany. Sometimes there's, there's moments of a deeper truth. <laughs> the very special episodes that they used to say. I mean, I, I, lo- I, especially, I especially love the episode where they go back to his home planet and they have to figure out a puzzle. But, you know, both both him and, you know, him being him, he does not understand, like, the concept of, you know, uh, expressions. So, and all the mm-hmm. riddles are in expressions, and he's like, I don't understand what you want me to do. Sort, sort of is, that, is that the one where they're all trying to help him and he's, yeah, he's yeah. got a calm link with them? Yeah. yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I hope everybody gets to see these things on Disney XD this fall. We, well, with Disney XD, I, I shouldn't say that because that's that's what we've been on. Um, not a lot of people saw it, as many as I would have liked. And now on Disney Plus, I think there will be a lot more people seeing our show. Man, and, and you guys actually got a lot more seasons than most of the shows. I mean, because most shows got get like two, one or two seasons, but you guys got like three seasons, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, and, you know, there's nothing official about whether or not it's coming back, so there is a possibility. We'll see. And I think out of all the Marvel shows, I think, was that was that uh, as popular as Spider-Man? Because I think it was like that and Spider-Man were the ones that were well, really popular, I think. It's very hard to say what's popular on Disney XD because in the U.S. it has a limited run, a limited distribution. It's not every home that has that. So it's not really fair to say how popular it was yet. I think you're going to see how popular it is if it's on Disney XD. Ah, I keep saying that. Disney Plus. <laughs> Disney <laughs> Plus, the, the app. It's, uh, you're, still, you're still on Disney XD. <laughs> you have not well, left that been, channel. <laughs> every time, well, every time I talk about the show, it's about Disney XD, so I'm going to switch that up because we're, we're changing. You know, we're now moving on to streaming. We're not on, you know, one channel. No. Or, you know, it's, it's insane. And, and do you think do you think that's going to change the game up, like with you know the newer talent coming in, because they're going to have to record for? It's going to be more of a volume business. You know, there's a lot of the fringes that go away. The, the residuals aren't as much, and uh, when you get paid for the playing of it, you know, so there'll be a lot of work. But there'll be a lot of work that is is probably paying quite at the level that it was. But, you know, that's just the way it is now. It's changing. And and it's, and I mean I've listened to other interviews with you and you and you you make a great point of saying you know it's hard to get into this business because you know you work with the same you know couple of people over and over again very rarely do you see like new new up and coming stars because it's really hard to get into the business and be at that level where you're considered good enough to hang out with like other big name actors. Well, there's that and there's also the fact that this is a very expensive process and they want to get it done and they want to make sure it can get done if they know people that have already done it. They would rather call those people in 
Um, but obviously people get older, you have to bring in new people. And there's a lot of people that have done a lot of anime that are coming over to the kind of work that I do. And, and that's a whole training, um, process too, because it's a different type of performance to do anime. So, um, I'm actually getting into some training where I'm, uh, going to be teaching people about making that transition from anime. Yeah, because a lot of people struggle with transitioning from anime to regular, uh, uh... Yeah, yeah, I don't even know what to call us either. You know, I don't want to, I'm not disparaging of anime in any way, but it's just different. It's a different type of performance. It isn't better or worse, it's just different. Yeah, because it's, it's just something it's, you have to learn. It's, you know, with anime, you have to, you know, match the timings and lip flaps. And with, with uh, animation, you're just there to record your lines. Mm-hmm. But there's also a style involved, too. There's a way they want it to sound. Yeah, I mean, with, with anime. a little less realistic. Yeah, yeah, with, because with anime, it's like everyone has this habit of talking really, really fast. So it, it, that's why it's kind of, you know, jarring to, to listen to at first. But, you know, peop, uh, you know the actors who uh, who do that get used to it. It's like, you know, act faster, you know? <laughs> well, it's also like going to broadcasting school. You know, if you sound like an announcer, you can't necessarily do animation because you just sound stiff. And anime isn't stiff, but it just has a different rhythm to it. And and everyone has that, you know, PG, PG way of talking when it comes to dialogue, which is weird, but you mm-hmm. kind of get used to it. Well, we're um, I'm definitely starting to see that more in the classes that I teach. So I'm going to make it a, a special class. I'm about to launch a series of classes online where people from anywhere in the world can uh, can take my class in groups of 10. Let's start in a couple of weeks where I'm going to have a villain class and a character class for you know both comedic and, and serious. And then I'll have the anime class to sort of teach people how to move over from anime. And then I might even have one that specializes in interactive, although that might fit into the character class. I'll be doing that twice a week. So look look to my social media if anyone's interested in that. And I wish you all the all the best on that, because that's you know doing that on a consistent schedule is going to be a nightmare. I'll tell you that right now. No, not really. You know, I have people that are helping me out. <laughs> um, it's just you know we just gather the students, and, and when we gather enough for a class, we have one. It's always good to give back a little. That's that's. I that's think so. You know, it's it's a very inexpensive class as well. We're doing fifty dollars for two hours, and you know it's not meant to make piles of money. It just it's a decent amount of income, but also gives back. You're right. I've been doing this for a long time. It's time to teach some new people how to do this. And that's what's great about the voiceover industry. Like, you know, people who have been in the industry will offer classes. So it's not hard to find, you know, training for, for that if you're into that. If you really want to make make this an, a career choice for you. It's true. It's true. And it's great with the technology because you aren't just limited to sitting in a classroom or sitting in a studio in Los Angeles. And now we can reach out to the world. Yeah. It's insane how far technology has come in the past couple of years. Like we're talking now, it's extremely clear line. Yeah. (laughs) And you're thousands and thousands of miles away from it. Yeah. It's magic. (laughs) Magic. (laughs) So, uh, you know, well, we've talked about your career enough, but uh, can you tell me about if you have any hobbies that you, you know, you might want to, you know... Yeah, I have a very specific hobby. I, ever since I was 10 years old, I've been collecting antique product packaging, um, bottles, tins, um, and all sorts of packages, uh, usually American stuff. I grew up in Canada, so some Canadian and British stuff, too, just because it's a memory for me. But, you know, I have things like uh, a Ritz box from 1943 that was buried underneath a, a cabin in Oregon in case the Japanese attacked. 
I love hearing the stories that go along with it. A Tide box, it's a, a detergent from 1952, the, the first year that detergent existed. And it was in an, an old lady's pantry in Chicago. When she died, they found it. Um, and I even have a, an old national broadcasting company, American uh, microphone. Um, the flag for it is an original flag from about 1939, and I had it restored. So uh, from a distance anyway, it looks pretty brand new. Things like that. Yeah, and it's it's, uh, it's weird looking back on that stuff and, and realizing how far, you know, like how far technology has come, like, and how, you know, and how time is, like, going really fast, and but we're not noticing it. It's weird. Well, that's, that's something I really like about the packaging, it sort of shows how the story they were telling at the time to try to sell the product, what they thought they needed to do to get people to buy it. And it's both similar and very different. Uh, it's definitely was uh you could tell you could tell you're in a different time when you're looking at these things. Yeah, especially with like some of the ads and you know, back then they had to like do a lot of artwork and make it look real nice and 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 you know, try to get people to buy it. It's like, you know, if if our product looks plain we're it's not gonna sell. It's true, you know, I've got a an ad on the on the wall from Popsicle, the uh, the frozen popsicle. And it's from nineteen fifty and there were these radio and, and film stars, comedians called Abbott and Costello. And they just show them there like as if it's winter, they have little toques on their heads and saying, Abbott and Costello love Popsicle. Well, they're trying to get you to buy Popsicle because, oh, if Abbott and Costello like it, I like it too. Oh, it's like, you know, going to the airport and seeing like a giant picture of Chris Hemsworth selling you watches. It's like, wow, what yeah. the hell is that? Which you mostly see overseas from the U.S. You don't see that as much in the U.S., those huge ads with American stars are mostly a European and um, Middle Eastern thing. Yeah, because I remember like when we, because you know, I went on trip not too long ago, and when we arrived in the airport, like this huge like Chris Hemsworth ad was like on plastered on the wall, and I'm like, well, that's one way to get my attention. I'll give you that. I saw that in train stations in Italy when I was traveling there a couple of years ago. It's, it's a lot so of American surreal. stars with enormous ads, <laughs> fifty feet in the air. It's so surreal. Like, it, it, is this an ad or is this like a headshot? <laughs> well, I guess they have their uh, they have their experts. They know what sells. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I used to work in an ad agency, so I mean, it sells. It really does sell. I mean, it sounds weird, but it does sell. Yeah. So. Probably the times the times change and the images you you give people now might be different than fifty years ago. I mean, because back then it was more about selling the product, but nowadays it's more about brand recognition than anything else, to be mm-hmm. quite honest. And that's why, that's why you know, that's why the games change. That's why you know you get um, you get big name celebrities doing like ads instead of just selling the product. Yeah, there it's their credibility behind the product or their image behind the product. And uh, you know, speaking of you know social media, how's that been treating you? Not too bad. I could always use more followers. I might as well tell you how to find me. I don't do Facebook. Um, which is sometimes good and sometimes bad, but I do Twitter and I do Instagram and my, my Twitter is at Voloboss, my last name backwards. Which is brilliant, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's the same on Instagram. I think they're both the same, at Voloboss. The Voloboss, I should say, maybe there's not two S's. At Voloboss. 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 <laughs> and, I mean, you say you need more followers, but I checked, like, you have, like, I think, 12,000 or so followers on Twitter, and it's kind of like, wow, <laughs> that's insane. Yeah, well, needing me, it's just, it's such a, it's such a factor now. Maybe I'm grandfathered out of it because I'm older, but I know for the younger people, 
they've made casting decisions based on how many Instagram followers you have. And I certainly started that much later than I did the Twitter. So please, everybody follow me on Instagram. What do you post on Instagram, though? I'm kind of wondering now. I, I just post, um, I post a lot of what I'm doing in my career. Um, sometimes pictures from my life, sometimes something silly. I'm kind of a silly guy once you get to know me. Wow, I, 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 I wouldn't know with all the characters you play. <laughs> yeah, I play all the, all the um, angry guys. Yeah, I play all the villains. But, you know, like when I did the um, Halo Wars and the Arbiter, I was literally giggling in between lines because it was so stupidly evil. Like, it was really, really cuttingly evil. And it was completely different from who I am. What, you mean you're not a giant, intelligent ape? Well, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? When I started that, I didn't even think that he was. Because he didn't know who he was. He didn't even know what a gorilla was. So I didn't play him like a gorilla. I just and played him like a person person trying to figure out who he was. And as it went on, he just became more and more, you know, like the classic character we know. Yeah, he's gotten a little angrier as the years have gone on because, you know, humans betray you. <laughs> That's what he thinks, and yeah, that's definitely something that's big, big for him. And and you uh, yeah. you actually did reprise some of the, some of your roles in the Lego series as well. If I'm you know, got to mention that real quick. Yeah, well, just like just like Drax, when when Grodd appears in another show, he's sometimes a different Grodd. You know, it's a Grodd for another audience, and I'll always try to have a little bit of the original character in there, just as an homage. But you know, when I did a Grodd that was for a theme park in Australia, and he had to be really big. And really, uh, aimed at children. So, different God. And like Drax, when I, when I do him for a stage show that's touring all over the world, uh, Marvel Universe Live, he's still Drax, but he's a big, blustery Drax, so you can hear him in the stadium. Yeah, cause it's a, you know, cause you're recording for a stadium audience, so they have to, you mm-hmm. gotta make sure everyone hears it. Yeah, 20,000 people, you have to go slower and clearer and louder. It's like theater. Kind of is. And that's how I started. It's a good place to start for a lot of voice actors. It, it's better to be bigger than they need than, than smaller. Much easier to direct that way. Well, yeah, because you know you're playing, you know, you're playing over the top characters. You're not playing anything grounded. You're playing, you know, a space bounty hunter or a talking ape. Well, you'd be surprised how grounded some of them are, especially in the early seasons of Broad. He was pretty, pretty grounded, just emotionally. In fact, one of the one of the episodes of The Flash. We had to redo a whole scene about six days before it aired because we realized he was so full of emotion at that point that he was seeming sympathetic and he was not a villain enough, not enough of a villain. So they had to um, make him a little less sympathetic. I, I did not know that because I did, I, I did not catch that, to be quite honest, because, you know, from the episodes I've seen, I did not catch that. I did not. Never think that he was well, ever it, such it a was, character. It, it was cut. <laughs> we changed it. The magic of uh, pre-production changes a lot. Yes, sometimes <laughs> you have to. Well, my, my, I hope it wasn't too much of a pain having to go back and redo redo lines again. Yeah, I'm happy. It? I'm happy to do what I need to do. So, uh, as as we wrap this up, do you have any advice uh, for any aspiring voice actors who want to get into the business? Just. Um, like I did, don't do voices. That's the icing on the cake. That's a wonderful thing to have. And, and some teachers even teach that. But my feeling is play the scene, tell the story, uh, live truthfully under given imaginary circumstances. And there aren't any more imaginary circumstances than animation or video games. 
and learn how to act. You know, go to acting classes. Don't worry if they're voice acting classes. Just go to acting classes. Or if you don't have that in your town, um, community theater. Just anything to get you on a stage performing. And uh, for voice acting, to do what I do, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, you will eventually need to move to Los Angeles because that's kind of where most of it's done. That is where the work is, unfortunately. But well, that's where the bigger stuff is, yeah. Because <laughs> everyone has to move to LA eventually to get, you know, the big, the big roles. But yeah, won't dwell too much on that. So, thank you so much for taking the time off to do this, man. You're very welcome. Thanks for asking. <laughs> and as always, if you uh, if you want to come back on, you know, you know where to find me. All right, sounds good. And maybe I'll be at a comic con in your neighborhood someday. You never know. <laughs> You never know. We're starting to do cons here as well, you know, because I met a couple voice actors last year, so who knows? <laughs> Ask your local con if you want to see me. I'll come. <laughs> okay, thanks, man. You bet.